A young mother had a son, a kind-hearted boy who always tried to do what's right. As he grew older, he worried about others more than himself. Whenever he saw anyone suffering, he tried to heal and comfort them, but more people became sick. Disease ravished the land. People were quarantined, isolated. Many didn't survive. It became too much, and he had to isolate himself. He cried as he thought about all the unbearable things the people were going through. The mental anguish racked him with sorrow, but it was his cross to bear. Good to be with you guys this morning. Good morning to everyone online. Good morning to Pastor Sean and friends over at Farmington Hill. So glad that we can all be together today. Today we continue our series called He Gets Us and we're in week two and today we're going to be talking about heartbreak. But before we go any further, let's go before our Lord and pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless son's Jesus name. God, we thank you for your word I pray that you would open it up and minister to us. I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. God, I pray for the broken hearts. I pray that you would mend them, that you would hold them, and that you would help them navigate the brokenness. God, you are king, as we sang earlier, of all, and we sit under you this morning, trusting you to lead and guide us in your word. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Man of sorrows, rejected and despised, unloved, unwanted, loathed and chastised. Man of our sufferings, acquainted with affliction, grief, pain, anguish, trials and conviction. Man of our depression, mournful and devastated, dejected, forgotten, isolated, set apart, and terminated. Man of our deception, tempted and enticed, lured and beguiled, charmed with every evil device. Man of our diseases, illnesses, and sickness, maladies, disorders, decay, rebellion, and brokenness. Man of our sorrows, sufferings, and deceptions. Man of our salvation, died for our transgressions. Both the Old and the New Testaments paint a portrait of Jesus as a, as a man who experienced very strong emotions, a man who experienced sadness and despair. John says that he wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. We see Jesus with tears flowing down his face. The prophet Isaiah called Jesus a man of sorrows. But how could the one who knows all things, who can fix all things, who is aware of all things, who knows how it all plays out, how can that person still feel such strong emotion and grief? Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. 
God put on human skin and felt human stuff. He could have shielded himself from the pain. He could have shielded himself from the mental anguish and said, I'm just going to feel happiness and peace. I'll leave the rest to you guys. But no, he fully immersed himself into the human experience and felt the full range and spectrum of human emotion, even sadness, even grief, even heartbreak. So why was Jesus so heartbroken? Why was he carrying so much heartache? We can look here. One of the reasons, Jesus was brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. He saw what his children were going through. And it's one thing for you or I to suffer, but it's another thing to see your child suffer. And Jesus saw what his people were going through, and he still sees what his people are going through. And he looks at his children, and he is brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. He also was brokenhearted because of the stubbornness and the rebellion of his children. He knows the path that leads to life, and he wants his children to experience life, to experience joy. But humanity runs away from God and seeks his own way. And that ultimately leads to all kinds of despair and destruction. So Jesus is brokenhearted. He's grieved at the stubbornness of his people. He's also grieved because of the cost of redemption. He knows the price more so than any of us. He knows the price that has to be paid in order for you and I to be redeemed. And he knows that ultimately that price is going to be his life. He knows the cost of redemption. And ultimately, this all can be summed up into the fact that Jesus is brokenhearted by sin and its effects. Sin is the rebellion of humanity away from its creator. It's when man says, I know better than you, God. And when that happens, there are all kinds of negative results. So he, he sees that. He knows that sin may be enjoyable for a moment, but ultimately, sin leads to brokenheartedness. Sin may be enjoyable, but eventually all sin ends in loss and death. I want to go back to Genesis 6. Let's go back to that passage. God looked down and he saw everything. You and I see some of the brokenness in the world, Maybe you get a little overwhelmed by what you see on the news in the evening or what you see on your news feed on your phone. But God sees everything all the time for all time, even the stuff that we try to hide. He sees the judgmental spirit. He sees the religious hypocrisy. He sees every lie, every theft, every bit of injustice and unrighteousness all time, every time he sees it. And that grieves him. Can you imagine being exposed to that? That breaks God's heart. And as we said earlier, we know that sin has a result. Sin ultimately results in loss and death. It may be enjoyable for a minute, but sin ultimately results in loss 
and death. Sin tears things apart. And none of us go unscathed. None of us go untouched by this hard reality that things get torn apart by sin. That word bereavement literally means to be torn apart. Sin enters into the world and it tears apart the beauty of God's creation. It's been said that when we lose things in this life, it can be compared to a branch being ripped from a tree or petals being ripped from a flower, not removed in a nice surgical or sanitized way, but ripped. And those rips leave wounds. And as long as you're on this side of eternity, there's no way to get away from the fact that we will experience losses. We'll we'll experience the loss of people that we love. We'll, We'll experience the loss of dreams. We'll experience the loss of relationships. And what do we do next? What do we, what do we do with all the broken pieces? What do we make of all of this stuff? Jesus says, I can handle it. I can handle the broken pieces. Bring me the broken pieces. Bring me the broken pieces so I can do a work of restoration of these things that according to human strength and human ability are impossible to make right. But Jesus says, bring me the broken pieces. And this is exactly what we see in our text today in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus steps onto the scene of a torn apart world, torn apart people. And he begins to navigate a place where there's sickness and injustice and evil, and he he steps right into it. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't back away from it. In our context, in Matthew 9, there were leper colonies where people were sick with leprosy, and not only were they physically broken, they were socially broken because of their leprosy. They were set apart from the rest of society, from the rest of their community. So no, no visits, no invites. They weren't welcome But Jesus steps into their world. It says he went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. He steps into this dark place, and he gets to work. About 10 years ago, when I was living with my roommates, one of my roommates got really sick. He got an infected tooth. He had, had his wisdom teeth removed, and an infection got inside of the wound where the wisdom tooth was removed. And man, by the time we took him to the hospital, his face looked like there was like a lemon or a few lemons coming out of his cheek. It was so swollen. And I'll never forget the scene of that day in that waiting room. We were inside of this waiting room in the heart of the city of Memphis that was surrounded by impoverished communities. And and I'll never forget my friend Joshua sitting there and his face is swollen from the infection and there's a tear rolling down his cheek. He says the worst pain he ever felt in his life. And then there was another guy sitting across from us and he was screaming to the top of his lungs, ah, because of his feet. He said his feet were in so much pain, it sounded like the man was being 
tortured. And then another guy began to yell at that guy saying, shut up, shut up. So you got my friend and you got the guy that's in pain with his feet and you got the guy yelling at him and people are arguing with the receptionist and other people who who looked like they had been there all day. And to be honest, it overwhelmed my senses. Seeing so much pain, so much depravity in one spot just completely overwhelmed me. But this is the type of environment that Jesus walked into. This is the type of environment that Jesus doesn't run away from. He took action. It says that he went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, healing. He was going, teaching, proclaiming, healing. He was not turned off by the smells of sickness that would nauseate most of us. He was not terrified by people who appeared to be mentally unhinged. It wasn't too much for him to go into these environments that had been closed off and alienated. He shows up and he takes action. And he's teaching as well because there was also spiritual sickness alongside of the great physical and emotional sickness. So Jesus was proclaiming the word of God. He was proclaiming the Lord's truth. And he's ultimately proclaiming that the king is here, that the kingdom has arrived, that though sin has ravaged and torn apart so much, the one who can restore the brokenness is here. And he's healing, he's demonstrating his authority over the spiritual world and over the physical world. The king had arrived. The kingdom of heaven was upon us. And why does he do this? He, do, he does this, and he still does this, because when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God's mission always begins with compassion, and compassion always begins with seeing. What a blessing it is to be seen, not just to be looked at, but to truly be seen and to have your true situation and your true circumstances and your true condition brought to light. When you go to a doctor, you don't go to a doctor just to be looked at. You go to a doctor to be seen, to be examined to have your true condition brought to light. And Jesus, he saw the people. And because he saw their true condition, he was moved to action. Several years ago, I caught a flat tire at about 11 p.m. So it was was pretty late at night. And man, I had been out there for quite a while. I was in a parking lot of a Trader Joe's in Texas. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in this Trader Joe's parking lot And this tire that I had, it was locked so tight, man. I was out there for a couple hours just uh, trying to turn it, uh, trying to get this tire off. And an hour and a half goes by. It's about 1230, and I see some headlights. I was like, oh, my God has sent me some help. I see these headlights coming into this Trader Joe parking lot. Well, I'm down there still trying to get this tire off. And the guy pulls up next to me. I'm like, yes, yes, he's getting out of the car. Surely he sees me. Surely he sees me. He's getting out of the car. And he gets out of the car and starts to walk towards me. I'm like, yes. And I'm, he's like, hey, man. And I'm, I'm still down there trying to get this tire off. He was like, hey, man. Um, 
can you tell me how to get to California? I'm like, do you not see me? I wish I was making this up, guys. I really do. I said, I said do, you, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you not see me? That's what I'm thinking to myself. And I'm like, California? Oh, yeah. Just go east. Go east as far as you can go east until you get to the Atlantic Ocean. No, I didn't tell him that. I told him to get on, I told him to get on I-40 and go west to get to California. Good luck. But, but he didn't see me. Like, how, how did you not? Either he didn't see me or he didn't care to see me. Compassion always begins with seeing. And in our original language, it tells us that that word compassion ultimately means to be moved. To be moved in our inward parts. That when we see something, we just can't leave it at seeing. And we, we can't just leave it at a feeling like, I got to do something about that. I just can't watch that. I just can't see that. That's what real compassion does. And when that happens, when people go beyond just seeing and feeling stuff to actually doing stuff, that's when the world changes. Or maybe that's just when one person's world changes because you didn't just stop at seeing. You didn't just stop at feeling. True compassion moves us to action. And that's what we're seeing with Jesus. And that's what he calls us to do as his followers. So why, why was he so moved? He saw them harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed. They were bothered. They were messed with. And God doesn't like that when he sees his people bothered and messed with. So he, he moves to action. He saw them harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. God had given his people shepherds. The religious leaders of the day were called to take care of the people, but they neglected the people. And Jesus sees this and he doesn't like it. So he steps up and God says, I am the shepherd. I will take care of my people. Jesus is the true shepherd of the church. He's the true shepherd of his people. And he comes alongside us and he walks with us and he guides us and he leads us beside still waters. Let's look at that word shepherd a little bit. It says the job of the shepherd is to make sure that the sheep are led peacefully beside still waters and that they lack for nothing, that they have what they need. And that's what we see Jesus doing. He's providing the food. He's providing the care. He's providing the truth of God's word that they need. He's nurturing and caring for his people, proving that he's the one true shepherd of his people. But it says, but the leaders are harassing the helpless crowds. They're suffering under the oppression of the occupying Roman forces. Plus, they have all the daily concerns, heartbreaks, and difficulties of life beating down on them. Jesus looks at this crowd, this he looks at the masses and he sees all of the need, all of this overwhelming need. And he, 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 he nudges his disciples. He says, don't you see it? Don't you see all of this need? What are we going to do with the need? He causes people to pray. He says, then he said this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out the workers into his harvest field. Jesus switches metaphors again. The harvest represents the people and all of the need. And God is asking us to pray for more workers to go out there and tend to the need. 
left to our own devices is overwhelming. It's too much. But Jesus tells them to call on the resources of God to send more people to do the work. Jesus was on the move going from town to town, village to village, person to person, room to room. But he wasn't just on the move by himself. Jesus was starting a movement. Because one day there were going to be other people that were going to go and teach and proclaim and heal and tend to the needs of the world and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that group of people is called the church. And that group of people is here today. And he calls us to go and to proclaim and to teach. And you don't have to be in full-time ministry to do this. You can do this wherever God has called you, wherever God has sent you. And when it gets to be too much and when it's overwhelming, and it will be some days, God says, call on the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. Call on the resources of God. So how do we navigate a torn-apart world? Because we live in one. We live in a torn-apart world, a world that has been impacted by sin. And as we've already established, sin tears things apart. And a lot of times we just feel like we're left with the broken pieces. So how do we navigate that? Sometimes we're the one helping. Sometimes we're the one being helped. Oftentimes we are both. I want to just specifically speak to those navigating loss in this season, navigating heartbreak. Friend, you don't have to hurry it and you don't have to bury it either. Sometimes we feel like we have to hurry through it. I got to get back to life. I got to get to doing things. I'll just keep myself busy. I don't have time to think about it or we bury it. I'm just going to, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to take those broken pieces and stuff them down somewhere. I can't afford to feel. I don't have time to feel. But friends, if Jesus doesn't ignore my pain and loss, then why should I have to? He does not ignore your pain and loss. It does not make you more spiritual to rush past it. It doesn't make you more spiritual or more Christ-like to bury it. If Jesus shed tears, so can you. And sometimes we have to grieve those losses. We don't have to rush past them. We don't have to bury them. It's okay to look at things and be like, I don't like this. It, it doesn't feel good. What I, what I lost, I miss. And we all have lost things and people that we care about and that we miss. And everybody grieves differently. We don't grieve the same. We grieve differently. But a big part of that grief process is looking at what I lost, at what we lost, and say, you know what? There was value in that, and I acknowledge that, and I, and I honor that. But another part of that process is picking up the broken pieces and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with what's left? I'm still here. You still have something for me. God, show me what to do with what's left. And another part of the grieving process is looking forward with hope because one day he's going to bring restoration and make all things new again. He's going to bring re restoration to the things that were broken. And he can provide healing even this side of eternity. And he's not turned off 
by your pain. He does not despise your suffering. He's not made uncomfortable by your tears. Sometimes we, uh, we as humans get uncomfortable with other people's tears. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't want to say something stupid. We don't want to say something weird. Sometimes we do say stuff that's weird. But God, he knows exactly what to do with those broken pieces. And he says, bring them to me. The tears don't make me uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, one day he's going to wipe our tears away. This week I got to sit in on Pam Dodge's community Bible study. And as she was wrapping up Revelation in the Bible study, she she brought up this point that one day God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. It says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And we have that to look forward to, to the restoration. But until then, we're still here. We still have to navigate the broken pieces. We, we still have to figure out how to wake up in the morning and get through the day. And we don't have to do that alone. That's the beauty of the church. It's full of broken people and broken pieces. Join the club. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you don't have to do that alone. I just want to point you to a couple of things. One, we have a, a care ministry here at Ward. I'm not trying to say it's the end all, be all, and that it'll solve all things. But it's an opportunity to connect with someone else and not have to navigate this thing alone. And so you can look at the email or the number on the screen if you'd like to and give that a, give that a ring or, or send someone an email so that we can connect with you. The point is we don't want you to navigate this alone and you don't have to. And I know we all grieve differently, but we'd love to be a part of the process for you as you walk through these things. There are grief groups, uh, groups dedicated to anxiety and depression. They're just regular small groups where people get together and talk about the word. We recently started something called a men's huddle where men just get together and uh, do, life to, do life with one another and connect with other men. There are Bible studies like the one I mentioned earlier. The point is you don't have to do it alone, friend. I want to guide us through this prayer of, of grief, this grief prayer. It says, Lord, help me to acknowledge the beauty and the value of what I lost. It was special, and that's why it's hard to see it go. Lord, help me to enjoy and see the value in what I have left. I'm still here. Remind me why again. Lord, help me to have faith for the greater things that are still to come. I know that one day I will experience a world without loss. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your masterful sons, Jesus' name. God, giving you the broken pieces of our heart. God, it just flat out hurts sometimes. And that's confusing. That makes us angry. That makes us unsure. God, meet us in that place. I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, everyone at Farmington Hills, everyone watching in various places, God, that they wouldn't feel that they have to navigate this thing alone. God, give them the support that they need. We're all broken people in desperate, in desperate anticipation for the day that you come and make all things new. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand for the benediction as we prepare to leave.
as I said earlier, you don't, you, you don't have to do this alone, and we encourage you. If it's not here, uh, maybe there's somewhere that you can find someone to walk with. But, friend, don't, don't take that fight alone. Also, I want to bring your attention to the He Gets Us book. It's in the media center at the library if you want to pick up a copy of that. I think there's still a few more available. We sold out last week, and we got some more today, and I think there's still a few more left. Uh, receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. Be blessed. Enjoy the rest of your day. Show me, show me your
God of creation There at the start Before the beginning of time With no point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of life And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. And if the stars amaze the worship so light, I can see a 